This is the Create Love, Create Freedom podcast. My name is Allison Fisher, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking about trauma, the inner child, and reparenting ourselves. So the best definition that I have heard about trauma has come from Christine Hassler, and she says, most people think trauma means I had an abusive parent, or I was in an accident, or I was sexually abused. And yes, all of this is trauma. But so can being called fat at the pool. So can moving when you're in the second grade. So can watching your parents argue, and it scares you. So trauma is basically too much, too fast. It's when all of a sudden your sense of safety and security is threatened and your nervous system goes into fight, flight, or freeze, and your body really can't calibrate. It's a nervous system injury. We often think that our own childhood trauma isn't really that bad because it's not as bad as someone else's story, right? We kind of... Um, create this, this narrative in our mind that tells us, well, other people had it a lot worse. So what happens is we minimize our trauma because we compare it to other people's trauma. And, you know, I think it's really important to be very grateful that our life wasn't as intense as other people's, but it's also really important to honor what was traumatic in our own life and what was traumatic when we were children. Um, What was traumatic throughout our childhoods. So in order to really kind of understand this and understand the inner child, we really have to understand that many of our trauma responses as adults Uh, we really may not consider trauma responses. And a lot of uh, these that I am going to go through here in a minute, these trauma responses are really a reflection of our childhood, of the trauma, the wounds that happened during our childhood, and why becoming close and understanding and knowing and having a relationship with our inner child doing our inner child healing um, is really so important. Also really working with our nervous system. So again, trauma responses, you may not have considered to be trauma responses. Urgency, particularly urgency culture within our society. The silent treatment, when we give the silent treatment to our partners. Being funny constantly. It's that kind of overwhelming need to always be funny. Being defensive. Over explaining ourselves. Always considering another person's perspective before we consider our own. Constantly trying to help other people, particularly at the expense of ourselves. Being controlling and also perfectionism. 
And so when we look at these things, uh, and this is, this is how I did a lot of my inner child work. Um, I read a lot of stuff about it. I listened to a lot of stuff about it. And, you know, I was, I was trying to figure it out because it, it seemed a little elusive to me. Okay. My inner child, my little inner three-year-old Allison, my little inner five-year-old Allison, even my 13 and 18-year-old Allison, but that smaller version of myself, that, that littler version of myself. And so, you know, first I really had to kind of understand, um, you know, signs that I have a wounded inner child. So let's go through a few signs. Um, you struggle with your emotions. So in childhood, we may have been punished or ignored if we shared our feelings, um, such feelings like anger, sadness, or disappointment, maybe fear. And when we feel those emotions, it feels really scary to express our feelings because we think we're doing something wrong. We often try to hide, right? And that happened in childhood, but it also happened to us as an adult. Um, Another is you're defensive. It's often difficult to say no um, because you don't want to disappoint or annoy anyone. You're in a chronic uh, people-pleasing kind of state. You struggle to meet your own needs. You're defensive um, about your opinions or your thoughts or uh, the way that you live your life. Another is you have low self-worth. So you might have been told, you know, in childhood, uh, you're not smart enough. You're not athletic enough. You're not pretty enough. Maybe you were bullied in school or you were forced to be a caretaker uh, for your parent or a sibling because your parent couldn't care for them. And so, you know, as an adult, you might really think that there's something wrong with you and that you're really not good enough, right? You have this low sense of self-worth. One of the biggest things that I did on my own self-healing journey was really transforming how I saw myself. And now I am at that place where I know my value and my worth. And so I don't, I don't accept, um, a lot of the things that, you know, people will often, uh, you know, the, the things that will, that people will say, I don't take it personally anymore. I don't accept, um, breadcrumbs, you know, little crumbs from people and then kind of believe that it's, it's a full meal, right? I really want to, you know, accept myself, my value, my worth from my own perspective, from my own sense of self. Um, so again, you know, some of these things, uh, trouble regulating your emotions. These are a lot of signs that you have an inner wounded child, right? And so when that trauma has happened to us, um, even though it might not have been the kind of trauma that someone else has, we really have to honor these things. We really have to see that, you know, um, yeah, there, there was some trauma in my own life. I know for me personally, um, as a child, I was most definitely bullied, um, you know, was constantly called uh, fat or overweight. Um, definitely saw my parents are you a lot, um, particularly my mother 
we become, we kind of get into these states of um, a lot of rage and anger and different things and would lash out verbally at my father a lot. And so what I have come, what I came to realize was these were things that caused trauma and therefore um, really caused a wounding within my inner child. And so what I have found is that as I move forward in my adult life, anytime that I'm really triggered, right, uh, by a partner, particularly in a romantic relationship, right, it could also be a parent, it could also be a sibling, it could also be, you know, people at work or friends. But even more so, I found the the deepest triggers can be by people that we love and care about, um, that, you know, are our intimate partners, mostly because we've let them into our lives. We've given them the power to hurt us, to leave us, if they so choose. Um, and so with a lot of that power also comes our, our deep love of them, our deep respect of them. And so when we are triggered, it can often feel like we are being attacked. And so for me, it was really important to understand that when I was triggered, it was really a reflection of the trauma that I experienced as a child. And it was showing itself in my adult life. So what I really had to do in those moments, so what I personally learned how to do was, you know, in those moments of trigger, uh, in those moments of anxiety, right? Um, I would often feel like I was in a much more heightened nervous system state because I was. And so what I would do is I would then work on soothing my inner child. I didn't always know exactly what age the child, you know, little Allison was, right? But what I would do is I would kind of visualize myself wrapping my arms around little me. And what I would do is I would remind my little self that that part of me that was kind of stuck in time and that part of me that was, uh, you know, uh, that my adult self triggered, um, because that younger self was afraid, was hurt. Um, it was scared. It did not feel, um, it did not feel safe. Little Allison at that time did not feel safe. So I will often visually imagine myself wrapping my arms around little Allison and saying, Hey, it's okay. We can take a deep breath. Um, I kind of would uh, visualize watching my nervous system, right? Watching my, um, my heightened nervous system state almost kind of come down like it was a scale, right? I would kind of watch it kind of move down and come back to a place of regulation instead of dysregulation. And I would talk to little Allison just inside my own mind and say, hey, it's okay, I've got you. I know there was a time when we were little and we were in childhood and we weren't safe, but now I'm an adult and I've got you. I've got your back. You're safe. I'm going to take care of us. We are okay. We can regulate our nervous system. We can come back to, I like to call it the green state, right? 
um, where we're calm, uh, where we are communicating with other people, uh, where we are feeling very peaceful. And it's okay to leave that heightened nervous system state and come back into a safe, into a safe place. Um, and so for me, that was really helpful. Um, now the other thing that I do, um, it, you know, I don't have to simply just be triggered to work with my inner child. And I also don't have to be in a state of, um, of anxiety. Uh, for me, um, the last couple of days I have felt, uh, I do some, um, other work on the side. I work for the state of Washington, working with children with trauma and, um, you know, coming from, uh, families where the child was removed from the home, those kinds of things. And there was a, an experience that I had due to a lack of, you know, opportunities to work with children and families. And, um, it, there was, there was some miscommunication, um, between some different departments and whatnot. And it really freaked me out because we were coming to the end of the month and I was just like, oh my goodness, I tend to feel a lot of anxiety anytime my money is threatened or my ability to earn, right? Because I have things I want to do. I want to build my business. I want to obviously provide myself with food and shelter. Um, this is also probably because, I mean, I think that this is a normal response sometimes uh, to people. Um, you know, anytime there's there's some sort of kind of dysregulation, it causes stress, right? But I think also because, I'll, you know, I'm a type four on the Enneagram, but one of my instincts is self-preservation. Uh, so I shared on another podcast where for me personally, um, that often means having a very clean home, um, being very organized, um, really responding to my bodily needs as well, right? I work out, I um, have learned how to regulate my nervous system through um, enough sleep, enough water, uh, really good nutrition, um, taking time to, you know, work through some of the problems in my life. Um, you know, one problem at a time, work on one thing, solve something, move forward, uh, or, or work on it as much as I can till I need to move on to something else. Um, but another thing for me is also, uh, you know, because I have PCOS and I have to eat quite a bit of protein in the morning, I really need to be able to have access to breakfast within about an hour of waking. So I make sure that I have plenty of salmon or, um, you know, high protein food, um, as well as, you know, I usually eat a salad and a couple hard boiled eggs every morning as well. Um, but that is part of that self-preservation instinct. So obviously my finances are also important to me. And, um, I just, you know, I get in, I got into that kind of higher stress kind of place. So one of the things obviously I did was to try to solve that problem and say, okay, how can I move some things around, be strategic, you know, think about it like a chessboard. Um, but also how can I, in this moment of stress, how can I take myself from that heightened nervous system state and, and kind of, um, you know, move myself back into that peaceful kind of place, right? Where I'm regulated. 
Now, part of that was solving the problem, right? Uh, you know, making, you know, moving things around on my schedule, picking up a new, uh, we call them referrals, you know, whatever. And so what I found that was very interesting was I'm able to do this a lot better because I work with my inner child. But I was also able to realize that although I did not come from a home where there was a bunch of financial stress, um, my father was much more frugal than my mother. Um, my mother tended to be a bit more of an overspender, uh, which makes sense if you look at, you know, borderline or bipolar, those things. Um, but what I, what I remember from those times was a lot of arguments. And so I kind of had this, this moment where I was like, oh, that could be another reason why it really stresses me out. And so I, I really had to think through that and, and really kind of say, oh, you know, little Allison, there's a reason for this. But hey, I've got us. We're going to work through this problem. You know, um, I'm going to make sure that we have safety and security and um, that we are doing the things that we need to do. Um, so that we don't have an empty calendar, um, you know, and so that we're still doing our work and generating revenue, um, you know, those kinds of things. And so I was able to regulate in the moment. Now, I also do little check-ins, usually every day. Um, but, you know, you can uh, choose how often you like to do it. I got into the habit of every day doing a little check-in with myself, um, particularly in the morning, sometimes also in the evening uh, when I meditate or when I stretch. Um, and so one of the things that I will do is I will kind of have this kind of quiet conversation in my own mind with my younger self and say, hey, um, you know, how are we? Um, particularly I look at things like the things that people say, uh, because again, bullying was a very big thing for me. I actually moved schools at one point, um, from a private school into the public school system because it was a very small private school and I was badly bullied. Um, I did not want to tell my parents about it cause I didn't, I didn't want to be the, a problem. And funny enough, I think that was a lot of repression uh, in my childhood. Um, I definitely played the good girl. You know, I was wanting to be very good for my parents. Uh, but I also think that that was funny enough repressing one of my other instincts, which was my sexual instinct uh, in the Enneagram. Um, much more of that decisive, uh, much more of that vocal being willing to share about my needs. Uh, then again, I think a lot of it too was, you know, when you have a, a parent that has borderline, uh, borderline personality disorder, whether it's diagnosed or not, um, my mother has a lot of the traits and it was kind of like walking on eggshells. And so you never wanted to cause dysregulation for her. And, you know, you, you just kind of kept a lot of things down, you just kind of kept a lot of things bottled up, I guess. What's interesting to me about that is I don't struggle with that so much anymore because of a lot of the self-healing work that I've done. 
So just know that if you have gone through some of these kinds of things with trauma, even though it may be more low-grade trauma, um, it's still really important to to honor those things about yourself, to, um, you know, of course, to be grateful, right, for uh, the, the life that you have, but also um, to honor what was traumatic in your own life. And so for me, I'll, I'll kind of check in with my inner child. Hey, how are we feeling? Um, you know, did someone say something that has bothered us? Because I am both highly sensitive and an empath. And I really have had to work on that in my life. And one of the ways that that really helped me, I don't know if you've ever read The Four Agreements or The Fifth Agreement. They are two different books uh, written by... Don Miguel Luis, I believe. Um, And one of the four agreements is don't take anything personally. Nothing anyone ever says or does has anything to do with you. Basically, it's because of a lot of the times the way that they treat you is because of how they see the world. And frankly, let's be honest, because of their own trauma and their own wounds that have gone unhealed. So once I kind of realized that it was a lot easier to do that. But I'll also check in with my inner child and, you know, just just kind of make sure that things are going well. Now, I also set up my life to try to certainly not get rid of all stress because that's impossible. But I live a very kind of ordered life for myself. I chose what habits I want. Um, I chose, you know, I choose how I live. And so therefore, because of that choice, um, you know, I get to choose how much effort I put into things. I get to make the decisions based upon that, which really keep help me uh, stay very regulated uh, within myself. So that's a little bit about, um, you know, signs that you have a wounded inner child, what I have done. But I'd also like to go through seven different archetypes of the inner child, which I found very interesting. So see if any of these really kind of resonate with you. If, if any of these popped up from your own childhood, one of them is the caretaker. Um, so this is the kind of person where you really gained a sense of identity and self-worth through neglecting your own needs and putting other people's needs first. Then there's the overachiever. Um, This is where you feel seen, heard, um, and express your values through success and achievement. And you use a lot of external validation as a way to cope. So you need other people's praise. You need other people to validate you. Um, another is the underachiever. So this is the kind of person who really keeps themselves small and unseen. And they don't live to their uh, live up to their potential due to the fear of criticism or shame or the fear of failure. Then there's the rescuer or protector. And this is the person who really attempts to rescue those around them in an attempt to heal from their um, their own vulnerability. And they really view others as helpless and incapable. And doing so, it keeps them kind of in this, 
it keeps them kind of with this armor, right? So they're not vulnerable to others. They kind of put a shield around themselves while trying to rescue and protect those around them. Um, But one of the characteristics, like I said, was um, they really see others as helpless and incapable, which creates a very big divide between themselves and others. Then there's the life of the party. Um, This is the always happy and cheerful, sometimes very comedic person. Uh, They don't show pain. They don't show weakness. They don't show vulnerability. They are also often the people who, when they have struggles in their life, they'll kind of turn a blind eye to it. They'll intentionally kind of push it aside and be like, no, no, that doesn't exist, right? No, I'm, I'm, I have this happy life. I'm always this way. No, 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 no. There aren't these things about myself that not only aren't great, but are dark, but are, you know, that are not happy. Then there's the yes person. This is the person who drops everything and really neglects their needs and all of their needs in the service of others. And in their household, they were molded to self-sacrifice. Often women have some version of this. We are very much taught this within society. Uh, Your needs come last. Um, You know, there's, I always hear about the moms who have been kind of berated in some way, like if they do anything for themselves, more than just like the bubble bath self-care, but like they go out with their friends or they go on a girl's weekend or I don't know, they work or they do other things. They spend some time on themselves. And this is often very much um, looked down upon in our society. Uh, Instead of seeing that, uh, I I really appreciate kind of the French perspective on that. I read a really interesting book on French parenting. And French parents very much believe that they have an identity as their own people, as their own selves, outside of being parents. They are parents, but that's only one aspect of who they are. And I think as Americans, we have not only allowed parenting to permeate every aspect of our lives, um, but we also, as women, will self-sacrifice to the extent that we're depleted. Uh, We are empty. We have nothing left to give. And then lastly, there is the hero worshiper. So, This is the person who needs to have someone to follow, Um, an influencer, uh, more so than just a mentor, but like a guru, right? Somebody that they follow uh, to the letter, you know, kind of thing. They are all about them. And this likely comes from an inner child wound that was created or made by a caretaker who was really perceived as superhuman or without faults. So the parent purposefully created a superhuman-like aura um, as themselves as the superhero for their child. They didn't have any faults. So these can really be, you know, these kinds of archetypes can really play out in terms of 
how our wounds have developed. Because again, a lot of our trauma and wounds also have depended on the kinds of parents or caregivers that we have and the kinds of wounds and trauma that they had, right? And part of, you know, our work, our self-healing work, our inner child work, um, and reparenting ourselves is to really break the system. Uh, I system maybe not may not be the right word, but break the generational pattern, right? Uh, to continue kind of moving ourselves forward. So, another thing uh, that I would like to talk about is, you know, how we can become closer to our inner child. So we do so, I think, first and foremost, by allowing ourselves to play. Now, play is practiced when your actions stem from a a deep place of joy, not simply just happiness. Oh, I'm happy right now. I have personally found that happiness is very fleeting. Joy I can have joy even when I'm going through a rough time and I can allow myself to play and I can do so from this place of uh, deep joy. So this is really, you know, in those moments of play, you really avoid focusing on outcomes. Um, You're more about just enjoying the moment, right? Um, you're not focusing on competitiveness or proving your worth. You're not focused on seeking approval. Uh, again, think about yourself as as the small child, right? Um, I have a niece that's five and a half now, but you know, since she was born, it's so beautiful to watch her play. She's free, uninhabited. Like she she's she's just this beautiful, free, open kind of person. Um, And I think it's really important as adults to do that. Now, there are a lot of ways that we can play. Uh, We can certainly be out in nature, you know, hikes or, you know, physical kinds of activities. Uh, We can also do, uh, you know, things like uh, knit or we can, we can choose a lot of different kinds of play. We can also involve children if we so choose you know, water sports. Um, I think more of those, you know, those times when you go to the lake for the weekend, where you leave the phone behind, where you just enjoy the sun. Um, maybe you enjoy, you know, um, a nice cold beverage, right? Could be alcoholic, could be not. Um, but you know, you're, you're in the inner tube, you're diving off the dock, you're playing, you're enjoying the moment, and you just lose hours to being in the sun, Um, taking a nap in the shade, in the hammock, you know, whatever. So consider whatever that looks like to you and try some new things, try some new ways of playing. Uh, For me to really get in touch with uh, my feminine and particularly my lover instinct, Um, my lover archetype, which is Aphrodite, you know, that creative, that sensual, that erotic, that, um, um, you know, very, uh, sexual self too. For me, uh, it's also been through dance. 
Now, of course, I have all my clothes on when I'm dancing and I'm with other women or whatnot. Sometimes I'm just inside my house, but I found dancing and music to really bring forth a lot of play. Um, Another way that you can become closer to your inner child is to really feel your feelings. Many of us grew up in households where our feelings were really pushed down. We were expected to, to not express our feelings. And so allowing ourselves to feel any of the feelings that come up to what a lot of people would call hold space for those feelings. So you don't, you don't have to do anything about the feelings. I always like to say, particularly, you know, in my meditative practice or whatever, I don't have to shame my feelings. I also don't have to believe all of my thoughts and I don't have to believe all of my feelings. Things are going to come up in the moment due to the intensity of the things that are happening to me, right? I'm not choosing the fact that my boss is upset at me or, you know, um, there's some sort of issue, right? Um, but particularly in those moments of feeling the feelings, feeling the emotions, um, we don't always have to push them down. And in fact, I work very hard to feel through them. They will come and they will go. And for me in particular, um, again, I, I think that this was also some very deeply repressed parts of myself. Up until I started doing a lot of my healing work, I didn't cry much. I remember there were times in my 20s and whatnot, I couldn't remember the last time I cried. And I thought that that was a real strength of, uh, that was a, that was a real show of strength. Um, and that crying, even though I was a woman, um, was still a form of weakness. And now, although no, I don't cry in front of most people, there are only a few people I feel safe or comfortable crying in front of, um, there are plenty of times where, particularly for me, I have a lot of feelings. Um, I'm very intellectual, but I'm mu- very much a feeler. And so, you know, um, there are plenty of times when, you know, I'll cry myself to sleep or I'll let the feelings out in, you know, for me in, in a setting that feels very safe. An appropriate setting means for me, a a very safe place. And a lot of times that's just by myself. Um, but our inner child also needs to feel very safe in order to feel our feelings. So again, that's creating that really safe space for our inner child. Um, another way that we can really become a lot closer to our inner child is to have a lot of compassion for ourself. Um, there's no right way to do anything. There's no right journey for healing. Um, I enjoy this podcast, you know, sharing things with you because I'm sharing my journey in hopes that it can help you. It can shed some light on some things that I've done so that maybe you have some more tools to go forth and do some of your own healing work, and maybe even the courage to do so. For a long time, I didn't have the courage to do it too. It felt very scary because 
there was a big pile of stuff to, to work through and small little shovelfuls of the dirt is what really helped me. You don't think of the whole, you, you know, the, the, the whole mound of dirt. You, you think of each shovelful that you have and the significance of it. Um, so again, there's no right way to do anything. There's no right way to connect with your inner child. Um, but I do think that having deep compassion for yourself, I always say that I'm hard on myself. Like I expect a lot of myself. Um, I'm constantly challenging myself. I'm constantly working with myself so that I can grow, so that I can heal, so that I can do things. But I also have deep compassion for myself and I'm very good to myself. So there are plenty of times, plenty of days when I say, okay, our hundred, our 100% today is going to be different than our 100% yesterday. I also go into the gym with this mentality. Now that doesn't mean that I can't give my 100% for today because I still need to. Because again, my goal is to get 1% better each day, just a little bit, accumulate on that, right? But I might have a really tight back from, you know, some Romanian deadlifts that I did the day before or something like that. So my 100% is going to look different, but my effort is going to match that 100%. And that also means by saying, okay, today I, I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm not going to um, cherry pick, Right what I do, what I don't do in my workouts, but I'm also going to have a lot of compassion for myself. Like maybe I'm feeling sick today. Maybe I'm just really low on energy. Maybe, um, you know, I'm going to start menstruating soon. Like it's okay. It's totally fine to say, Hey, this is my hundred percent for today. And then I'm going to push just a little bit further. Do one more rep, do a little bit more, go another, um, another round and then call it good. So having deep compassion for yourself and saying, Hey, it's okay. We put in the time, we put in the effort for today and now we're done. Let's go do something that's really good for us. And when I talk about us, I mean you and your inner child, um, you know, pick something that's really good for yourself. And then lastly, to get close to your inner child, be very curious. Um, I think it's really important to, to just be curious in a lot of areas of our life. When I became curious about why I was attracted to the men that I was attracted to, when I became curious about my PCOS and said, Hmm, okay. Uh, there's a lot of things that I could change in my environment. Well, I wonder if this would help. Ooh, I wonder if that would work. Same thing with um, healing my anxious attachment style, right? I mean, I'm sure that I will always have triggers and my anxiousness, uh, my anxious attachment will come back at times, um, more so than other times. It just kind of depends. But once I learned that I could heal it, I was like, oh, this is great. And so then I just became very curious about it. So when we look at our inner, our inner child 
and we want to get closer to the inner child, it's, it's good to ask a few questions. What does your inner child want you to know? What activities does your inner child like to do? What kinds of play did, did they enjoy as a child? Um, what really seems very fun and joyful to them? What's one new activity that you and your inner child would like to try? And, you know, how are you going to commit to playing more with your inner child? That play looks different for all of us, but we can choose uh, some things that that really add to that, that really uh, cultivate this whole different side of us that maybe we didn't really realize before. Um, some reminders. Again, play. Go play. Uh, also remember that your needs matter. Also remember that what you feel is valid, even if other people don't think, uh, or feel the same way. Remember that your role in life isn't to be liked. Remember that it's okay to be misunderstood. And remember that you're healing every day. It is a journey. It's not a race. It's not a destination. It's a joy to be able to work on your healing. It's a joy to constantly learn more about yourself, to see things the way that things were in your childhood, to forgive other people, and also to forgive yourself. Next, let's bring in reparenting. So reparenting is the process of relearning how to meet the needs of your inner child. So it's acting as your own best parent through daily self-care and observation, through developing practices of giving ourselves what we didn't receive in childhood. Um, that really means diving into the childhood, diving into those aspects of, you know, looking at our wounds, looking at our trauma, um, working on, I think as well, creating um, things that really support us, right? Uh, looking at our boundaries, uh, looking at the kinds of relationships that we have. Uh, looking at our fears of intimacy, looking at our fears of abandonment, looking at our mother wounds or our father wounds, right? Now, there are four pillars of reparenting. Uh, one is loving discipline. So that's, you know, um, I think Mel Robbins really says it best, which is, you know, no one's going to tell you to get out of bed. You have to do it. So when there are those things that you know that you really need to be doing, um, I think that it's really important to, you know, not have that excuse to just go and do it, right? Um, really kind of being that that loving disciplinarian. It can be a very different kind of discipline than you received in childhood because many of us uh, did not receive um, a lot of great discipline, right? It was either way too overbearing or potentially it was also um, 
maybe underrepresented, right? Maybe we were kind of given free reign instead of really, um, you know, really kind of being given any structure. So again, practice compassion. Um, you know, when you fail, because most likely you're going to, I certainly have multiple times and, you know, just, just kind of say, okay, all right, we're going to try again. We're going to start again. We're going to, we're going to do something a little bit different. And so I think that that's, um, you know, a very big key, right? Loving discipline. Um, another is joy. We talked a little bit about this, not just happiness, well, I'm feeling, feeling happy right now. Well, for I don't know about for you, but for me, uh, gosh, give me 10 minutes and I might be irritated or I might be angry or I might be sad or I might be something totally different, right? Um, happiness kind of comes and goes, but joy, joy is that ever-present uh, kind of combination of, yes, happiness, uh, but, you know, a little bit of it, but it also includes maybe not just contentment because you're also moving towards something, but like peacefulness and, um, you know, you're, you're also moving towards your goals. Um, it's, it's joy in pursuing things, right? The going after some of the things that you want. It's also joy, even when it's really hard and it's really tough. It's joy when you are, you know, kind of in that place of peacefulness. Um, but also when you're not satisfied and you're going after stuff. Another aspect is emotional regulation. Uh, that's something that I've really had to work on myself. Uh, that wasn't a really very... Um, I, I think it was partly just the way that I uh, saw a lot of dis emotional dysregulation in my childhood home. Uh, my parents have and had a fairly codependent relationship. Uh, my mother, my father was always expected to fill my mother. Um, my mother would vacillate between her emotions and was, was quite dysregulated from time to time. Um, and so really finding a lot of that emotional regulation I have found has been really helpful in, again, tapping into my nervous system. Um, I can feel it in my body. So, so one of the things of course, is to become present in the body, um, instead of shutting down, being able to catch things a little sooner. Um, certainly managing my stress helps my emotional regulation. That is also one of the other pillars, which is self-care, right? Managing my stress is part of my self-care. Well, one of the ways that I manage my stress is by eating well, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, getting out in nature enough, fresh air, um, certainly exercising. For me, it's also, um, you know, making sure my finances are in order. I'm not overspending but that I'm not squirreling away every single dime so that I don't have any joy. I, I don't go and do things. I don't try new things, right? 
Um, another part of self-care for me certainly is uh, massage and, you know, some body work, but it's also constantly working on some of my, my wounds, my trauma. I really deeply consider that self-care, but that also really falls into the, the emotional regulation, managing my stress. And then also being compassionate, forgiving myself when, um, I went a little too extreme one way or the other with my emotions, either bottling them down too much or, you know, pushing them down or, um, maybe letting them spray like a little bit of a geyser, right? There are always those times when I'm like, hmm, did not react the way that I see now that would have been the best. Uh, so um, we we are compassionate to ourselves. We give ourselves a moment to really say, ah, yes, okay, I'm going to try that again, right? So some signs that you need reparenting. You have a habit of self-betrayal or not keeping your word to yourself. Uh, This was a really big thing for me when I worked with uh, my mentor, uh, Tom Shea, um, is honoring your word. Not only honoring your word to other people, but also honoring your word to yourself. Uh, For me, a lot of times, uh, sometimes the harder aspects are honoring my word or, or reminding myself that, I need to honor my word, particularly in the middle of a 10-mile Spartan race, right? Where I'm like, no, no, we said we were going to finish this. There we go. We're going to finish this. Same thing with the workout. Same thing with, you know, whatever it is. I don't have to continue doing Spartan races after I finish this one, but I must finish. It doesn't matter my time. It doesn't matter who's passing me. The goal is to be better than I was the day before. Um, Now, the other thing about honoring our word, keeping our word, not only to ourselves but to others, is being certain that we don't say yes to everything. Are we able to say no? Are we able to set boundaries? And so one of the signs that you need reparenting is that you're not able to say no. You're not able to set a boundary. Uh, You do a lot of self-betrayal. You don't keep your word to yourself. You also don't keep your word to other people. Uh, Another sign is you have dysfunctional relationship dynamics. Um, I think it's really important to look at those, right? What kind of patterns have you had from your past relationships? What can you look at and say, oh, wow, that's really true. I often tend to um, attract very distant men, very emotionally unavailable men, men who um, maybe are controlling, right? Um, They're very distant. Uh, so then we'll often conform or change to please others, to earn love, attention, and affection. So really taking a look at those dysfunctional relationship dynamics. What do I want instead? What does healthy love look like? And then continuing to allow for change, allow for growth, right? 
Um, a lot of times I say, well, this is what I believe right now, but I'm also willing based upon my experiences, based upon uh, things I read or things I hear from other people. I'm also willing to allow that to change and to grow. And the same thing is true about healthy relationship dynamics. Like this is what I believe a healthy relationship is right now until I know better, until I know something different. So be okay for that to change as well. Another sign you need reparenting is you fear criticism, right? Um, Every little thing used to hurt me. Things people would say, things people would do. Sometimes they still do because sometimes they are deeply hurtful. On the other hand, I had to kind of learn the difference between really constructive criticism and the the kind of wounding criticism, the kind that it's just not okay and it's not appropriate. But having a constant fear of all criticism will never help you uh, move forward, right? You're always going to be hindered from going after what you really want in your life. Again, there's a reason for that. Something in your childhood some of the trauma that your parents passed down, uh, the, um, the wounds, right? Their own unhealed wounds got you to the point as an adult where you really fear criticism. So reparenting that will be very helpful. And then lastly, um, another sign that you need reparenting is you have a lack of an understanding of your own needs, wants, desires, and passions. Uh, I just recommended this book not that long ago, but uh, it was called The Way of the Superior Man. It's by David Data. Um, Now, in this book, he is specifically talking to men. He also talks about men and women um, in relationships and those kinds of things. But I think that this book can be incredibly helpful for men but it was very helpful for me as a woman to see what kind of man I was looking for. A man who lives at his edge, a man who has purpose. Uh, For me, attracting a man who appreciates the fact that I haven't, not only do I have an understanding of, but, but I own my needs. This is a need I have in this relationship. Oh, okay. Thank you for bringing that forward. Um, This is a want. This is something I want to do. This is a desire, right? This is a passion. This is my purpose. Now, again, those things can change. Um, My purpose has expanded and contracted to some degree. It's become uh, wider you know, a a greater uh, breadth, as well as depth at different times. It is also constricted a little bit to be very laser focused. And other times it is widened a little bit. So again, allow for some movement. But if you constantly have, if you constantly lack an understanding of your own needs and wants and desires and passions and purpose in life, This is a sign that you need to really look at reparenting yourself. Uh, Really look at your inner child. 
really look at the trauma and the wounds from your past. Maybe write down a few. Um, and then go through that process of reparenting, relearning how to meet your needs, the, the needs of your inner child. Act as your own best parent. Um, you know, teach yourself certain things. Teach yourself how to regulate your nervous system. Um, self-care, right? Uh, by observing yourself. Um, gosh, I always get them mixed up. It was it Plato. Was it Socrates? Um, funny enough, I don't get Marcus Aurelius, uh, Seneca or Epictetus mixed up. But anyway, um, I think it was Socrates who said, live the, uh, you know, you don't want to live the unexamined life. The unexamined life is not worth living. Examine your life. Um, again, that's really moving into, you know, if you're a woman, your awakened feminine. That is, as a man, really moving into your awakened masculine. It doesn't mean yet that you've healed all of the stuff from your, um, from your distorted masculine or feminine or your wounded masculine or feminine, but you're moving towards that. You're aware of these things and you say, oh, this is why I have so many repeating patterns in my life. And again, another big indicator is repeating patterns in your intimate relationships. They have an incredible way of showing you where a lot of the wounds and the trauma are at, where to locate them. Because remember, our relationships are a mirror. Um, I wrote something on, uh, Instagram a little bit today. Um, I was talking about, um, you know, the, the masculine and the feminine. And I said that the divine masculine chooses his feminine partner because she holds him in her truth. He embraces her challenges and the way she triggers him. He chooses her because she challenges him to reclaim his darkness and his purpose. Um, and so my point being that our triggers, right? Um, they really come up again in our, um, in our intimate relationships. Our triggers are really shown to us in our intimate relationships. And so when our partners trigger us, even when our children trigger us, they are triggering the parts of ourselves we haven't yet healed. Our partners and children are our mirrors and our guides to growth, happiness, joy, belonging, love, right? Our triggers are our guides to healing, growth, and transformation if we're willing to do our inner work. So again, when our partners trigger, trigger us, what they are triggering are the parts of ourselves that we haven't yet healed. That's why we look at our trauma. That's why we look at our inner child. We learn how to self-soothe our inner child. That's why we learn how to reparent ourselves. 
So I hope that this discussion was helpful for you, that you took something away from it. Um, if you have some thoughts on how you uh, reparent yourself, how you self-soothe, um, how you really work with your inner child, I would love to hear that. Um, I've been getting quite a bit of feedback on Instagram, you know, some direct messages. Uh, so if you would like to go to at create love freedom, you can very much, um, go there on Instagram and send me a message. Um, I've also had several people email me and my email is create love freedom, um, at gmail.com. And, you know, let me know, um, what ways you are working through your own trauma, your own wounds, your own triggers, um, how things come up for you in your, in your most intimate relationships. Um, also, if you are looking for a place to start your healing work, I really encourage you to join us. Uh, we are, uh, I have created something called the Members Club the Create Love Freedom Members Club. And every single month, I bring forward a new self-healing topic. Um, there is a series of videos, as well as a workbook for you to go through. And again, this will really help you become your best self-healer, uh, really allow you to dig into the things from your past, from your trauma, from your wounds that you need in order to really create um, the transformation that you're looking for in your life, um, to really create the, the kind of healing that you're looking for. So if you would like to do that, you can go to Instagram, um, again, at create love freedom, click on the link in our bio and then click on members club and you can sign up right there. Um, it is a monthly subscription and it is $29 a month. Uh, you can also go to our website, which is createlovefreedom.podia.com. You can click on Members Club and sign up there as well. We would love to have you part of our community. And also, our community allows you to talk to other people. Uh, right now, it is for women. Um, but I have had um, a couple of men that have reached out. And so I'm also uh, looking at creating a separate Members Club that is for men as well. Um, so let me know if that is something that is of interest to you, because I would be happy to do so. And, um, but it's also a place where you can talk through your wounds, talk through your trauma, um, encourage other people, but also receive encouragement, learn new things, um, really kind of get the tools that you need to keep digging into your wounds and your trauma, um, so that you can really become, uh, really, really have the the life, the uh, the inner sense of uh, self peace and self confidence that you know. I think all of us are really looking for. So, again, I hope that this was helpful. Until next time.